Welcome to the New Faces of Democracy podcast, the show featuring inspiring conversation with people at the grassroots and the grass tops, doing extraordinary things to stand up for our democracy. I'm your host, Nancy Bynum. This podcast celebrates people who are transforming our political landscape by organizing, running for office, or generally striving to make our democracy live up to its promise of a more perfect union. I hope their stories will inspire you to learn more about them or to take action on your own. Head over to newfacesofdemocracy.org for easy links to subscribe, follow on social media, and to get more inspiration. On this episode, I'm speaking with Eliza Nemzer, an earth scientist who's worried about the earth. So worried, in fact, that she pivoted from science to politics to found Climate Change Makers, a group of concerned citizens who take meaningful action to elect climate candidates and advance climate policies. We talk about how we can't science our way out of climate change. It's a political issue now. Why her group is defiantly nonpartisan and what we can achieve when we carve out just one hour a week for productive collective climate action. Now here's my conversation with Eliza. Eliza Nemser, welcome to New Faces of Democracy. Well, thanks for having me, Nancy. So Eliza, you are the founder of Climate Change Makers. First of all, great name. <laughs> Secondly, why don't you tell us about what your mission is there? Okay. Climate change makers is basically an extension of work I've been doing independently for the last three years, some independently and some as a consultant with the NRDC Action Fund, which is the work of elevating climate candidates and supporting them in all ways and advocating for climate policies that accelerate progress as we face this massive challenge. And what is your background and what led you to start this, to start the work in the last three years? I'm an earth scientist. I have a PhD in geoscience and did a, a postdoc in kind of earthquake hazards analysis in Europe and, and came back from Europe and worked for an engineering firm for about 10 years. So I used to work on earthquakes and increasingly my clients were oil and gas companies and I was confronting induced earthquakes, not natural earthquakes, but earthquakes induced by oil and gas production. And about three-ish years ago, I kind of hit a wall with that. Trump had, you know, taken office and appointed Scott Pruitt as the head of the EPA. We had these historic wildfires in 2017 in the fall in Northern California, and the air was thick with smoke. And, you know, my work had really become focused on helping oil and gas companies maximize their profit and mitigate the earthquake hazard. And it kind of all came to a head for me and I decided to shift gears. So I decided to focus on climate and not earthquakes. And I also quickly realized that the problem wasn't one we can science our way out of. Not that I am a climate scientist. I like to say I, I went to grad school with them. <laughs> we were in the same department. It's not what I studied. I studied subsurface geology. But we can't science our way out of it, but we can politics our way out of it. It just became perfectly clear that this was a political issue and that I had to find a way to comfortably get political and invite people around me to comfortably get political in the name of climate action. So yeah, that, it was a big turning point for me. And I started organizing for climate candidates in the 2018 cycle, early on in the 2018 cycle, when it just, you know, became very clear that there were these well-intentioned candidates who understood the science, planned to follow the science, <laughs> planned to write and vote for legislation that would be aligned with the science. And then there were these incumbents who were, you know, somewhere on the spectrum of climate denier, delayer, skeptics, and we needed to get them out. 
because they had too many votes. And that is why we are where we are. Tell me actually the way Climate Change Makers works, what your volunteers do, and then why you thought there's a space for this in the volunteer environmental world. Yep. Okay. So when I realized that I needed to find a way to get political, I clearly saw that this partisan narrative that climate is a partisan issue is a huge problem on a million levels. One of the levels is that it deters people from getting politically involved because no one likes to get involved in partisan politics. Well, most people don't. I don't. Certainly a lot of scientists don't. So it became very clear to me that we need kind of a new paradigm to think about politics through a climate lens. Think about climate candidates don't talk about their partisan affiliation. Let's just stop talking about that altogether. Let's talk about candidates who are climate candidates, pro-science candidates. And in my efforts to mobilize more people and help them connect the dots between political action and climate action, you know, I just realized more and more that people were hungry to find a way to be a productive part of the solution. Like they're savvy, they know what's going on. They knew that there was a former coal lobbyist, you know, at the helm of the EPA, but they weren't, it wasn't clear to them how to become a productive part of the solution. So I did a lot of work to take the partisan yuck out and really just talk about this can be a nonpartisan framing of getting political. So in my assessment of the landscape of environmental organizations and more political environmental organizations like 501c4s, I became involved with the NRDC Action Fund. I noticed that there's a lot of excited advocates, activists, folks who are willing volunteers who want to be a protective part of the solution. And, and they end up becoming members of these big organizations, which are doing incredibly important work and hoping to, hoping to participate in the solution and then feeling unfulfilled by taking action in the form of signing petitions or pre-filled letters, all of which is important, but left a lot of people around me feeling unfulfilled myself included. I really, you know, want to do something that feels much more productive and fulfilling. And like, what if I have more time than signing a petition? What can I do then? So Climate Change Makers is this framework and community for people to come together, look at elections through a climate lens, check your partisan affiliation at the door. We're not, we're not playing the game. We're not talking that talk. And we're looking around at how can we help support the incredible work done in by being done by these big environmental organizations and how can we help support the priorities that they've identified how can we partner with them how can we use our climate concerned human power to go deeper than signing a petition what does it look like if we gather for an hour a week if we carve that time out with the the sole goal of being productive you know productive climate action in an hour a week with you know, well-intentioned folks of all backgrounds, what does that look like? That's the grand experiment of climate change makers. So, so what does that hour look like? I mean, maybe tell me what it looked like. You started this, I know, recently and shortly before the 2020 elections, right? In August. So what did an hour look like then? Because I'm sure you were highly engaged in get out the vote or supporting candidates in other ways. Right. So it's always this two-pronged approach. And that's, you know, what I did 
before climate change makers and what we're doing with climate change makers, this notion of supporting climate candidates, so this electoral work, and this notion of advocating for climate ambition on the policy side. We did launch Climate Change Makers in August of 2020 in the shadow of this historic election and could plainly see that the future of the United States Senate was in play and that flipping the Senate to a pro-climate action majority, you know, certainly never framing it in any partisan way, but a pro-climate, you know, we want a majority of United States senators to be in favor of climate action and not delaying that. So because that was in reach and such an incredibly large and important lever on climate progress made perfect sense to start there. So we started Climate Change Makers, um, organized into teams around key Senate candidates. And each team had its kind of own little subculture and sub community within our community. And each team met for an hour a week. So at one point we had nine hours a week for nine different teams organized around nine different Senate candidates. Climate Change Makers was always intended to be an organizing platform and not top down. So we didn't say here, there's gonna be a team for Teresa Greenfield, there's going to be a team for, we basically said, here's the landscape. This is what the polls say. These appear to be the more winnable races. Of course, now we know the polls were, <laughs> anyway, maybe less reliable than anticipated. But but we invited change makers who entered the community to coalesce around a candidate. You know, if you have a critical mass and you want to start organizing a team and pick an hour a week and take action to support that candidate, do that. So that was the invitation. And, and it ended up sorting itself into about nine teams and each team was connected to a candidate with the exception of Team Georgia. And this is way before we knew that there would be a runoff election. Team Georgia was one team handling Ossoff and Warnock. And then of course, after November, when we saw that this whole saga was going to continue into January, we had the entire community coalesce around those two races, again, just because of, you know, based on the knowledge that this was such a big lever. That was the start. And then, needless to say, after January, we regrouped and have been focused on policy advocacy. Great. And I want to talk about all of that. But first, let's talk about just your volunteer group. I mean, is there a demographic that could describe them? Obviously, they all care about the environment, about climate, but like age-wise, where do they live, that kind of thing? Great question. The goal is to cast a big, wide, inclusive net. Like, that's the thing, right? Are you concerned about climate? You're in. <laughs> we talk about this metaphorical t-shirt on the front. I am a climate change maker. And on the back, not a climate spectator. Like, is that, do you identify like that? Do you want to actually plug in and be a productive part of the solution and a change maker? You're in. And I don't care if you identify as a Republican or whatever, like you're in. Because we've been organizing on Slack, that is a bit of a filter, I think, in terms of some kind of low level degree of tech savvy. So the community happens to be pretty tech savvy and Slack was kind of new to me a year or two ago, but for some of these folks, they're on like a million different Slack channels. So age-wise, I would say we have a healthy community of students, kind of graduate students, some undergrads. I don't know, maybe that's less than 5% of the community. We have tech executives. We have, you know, technologists. We have climate-concerned artists and climate-concerned. We have a, a healthy number of climate scientists. 
I would say all backgrounds. So one hour a week, that's all people have to, I mean, have to commit, are expected to commit and obviously want to commit. If someone wants to go deeper, can they do more? If someone wants to go deeper, they can do more. So Climate Change Makers is much more than a Slack community with a once a week Zoom meeting. We, and I say we, I mean, this has been the most awe-inspiring, all-volunteer collective effort ever. This has really just been tremendous contribution across the board from a lot of kind of superstar hand raisers in the community. So the short answer is yes. We have a lot going on behind the scenes to really organize and to make sure that we're being effective and streamlined and impactful and measuring our impact. And we have, you know, key performance indicators and this beautiful dashboard that folks are building out and, you know, a understanding of the user journey and climate change makers and a whole brand team, this big group of creatives who are just, there's a lot of people plugging in with more than an hour. They're plugging in with their talents, they're plugging with their expertise, their passion, and they just really appreciate the vision, which is empowering as many climate concerned people as possible to channel that concern into regular, productive, collective action that a lot of people have really given a lot. So we have this whole structure, squad structure. When when folks join the community, I mean, we welcome them to contribute with an hour a week, you know, and we welcome them to contribute more and, and contribute their skills and meet everyone where they are. That's the other thing. There are folks who are completely new to political action in our community. In fact, they check a box on their way in. I think about 50% are completely new to political action. So it's really exciting that we're mobilizing new people. And then a lot of people aren't aren't new. And what we're striving to do is meet everyone where they are, whether this is all just foreign to them or whether they're a 20-year veteran of climate action, we want to make sure that their hour is productive. That's the number one focus, meeting everyone where they are and making sure everyone feels that their time was productively spent. The assumption is then they'll keep coming back and we'll keep pouring our time and energy into productive action. And then look, that's the start of a real movement. So we talked about how you started summer of 2020, how you started helping candidates to the Senate, particularly getting elected. What kind of voter were you targeting and where were you getting your your data from, the information from? Were these people who like have expressed interest in the environment but never vote? You know, that kind of thing. Okay, so that's a great question. We've never pulled our own voter lists. We've never set up our own phone banks. We are 100% the climate-concerned human power. And, and we, we are the community. That's our tool. And we have been throwing our tool and our human power every which way to support all of these important partners. It's a very crowded and impressive space of organizations doing this work. So for instance, for phone banking, we partnered heavily with Flip the West. They did a very robust phone and text banking effort. Vote Forward had a very robust letter writing effort. We had, you know, in any given team might in one week, you know, be writing letters with Vote Forward, the next week be making phone calls with Flip the West, text banking with NextGen. It's a really long list of partners. And we just looked around and made as many partner friends as possible and said, we have folks who want to be productive and let us help out your efforts. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's, it runs the gamut. Environmental Voter Project was certainly one, and they have you know, a very specific demographic that they're targeting. And sometimes it was like we would learn you know, which universe of voters we were reaching out to. 
But the electoral work took the form of both traditional and kind of innovative get out the vote efforts. Certainly, you know, the traditional stuff, phone banking, text banking, letter writing. We did a good deal of fundraising, social fundraising, using social media, folks reaching out to their own networks. I am a big fan of Give Green, which is a platform to contribute to candidates. It's a portal is what it is. It's a portal. So just like ActBlue, it's a portal. All the money goes directly through the portal to the candidates. Give Green doesn't take the cut. But Give Green stamps contributions as climate concerned. So to me, always, if there's a candidate up on Give Green that we can support through Give Green, it's a no-brainer. If we're concerned about climate, why wouldn't we add that message on to the money? So we did a lot of fundraising through Give Green and trained people. So sometimes that hour was about what does it look like to you know, invite your friends to help support this candidate who's in this very critical race and going to be the one to move the needle on, on climate action. We leaned heavily on kind of relational organizing strategies everywhere we could with the phone banking, with the text banking, with the, with the fundraising, um, with a, a fundraising events that we did with this idea of bring a friend. And I think that we also did some more creative stuff like DMing. DMing was the new door knocking in the 2020 election during the pandemic. So there were hours that we did kind of creative voter outreach using DMs. So we did our best to be innovative and creative and also kind of use the tried and true. And the same thing for our advocacy work. So it's all partnered action. Just like we are not pulling voter lists during an election and setting up phone banks, we are not picking out climate priorities. We are leaning on our partner. We're not a policy shop. That's the number one thing. We are cultivating a community as a tool. There are tons of phenomenal policy shops that have paid staff and they're just set up to identify really timely, really important climate priorities. And what we're trying to do with our community is still in keeping with that idea of cultivating a big inclusive community, a big tent, is grab for, we call low-hanging fruit kind of the no-brainer policy priorities that there's broad consensus around, really trying to minimize the potential for friction within our community. There is plenty to agree on and advocate for, and let's, let's do that work. Well, first of all, that makes so much sense to sort of outsource the, I mean, there's so many groups doing the electoral work and getting the voter lists and doing the policy work. And there's no point in everyone, you know, kind of reinventing the wheel every time. So you guys identify, it sounds to me like you guys identify quality partners who are doing top level work. And then you just are like, hey, we're here to make some calls for you. Totally. Quality partners, best practices, no reinventing the wheel, like as little reinventing the wheel as humanly possible, right? (laughs) We're just getting people fired up and taking action every week to the best of our ability. Got it. So in terms of the environmental voters, I mean, yes, you are proudly, unabashedly nonpartisan, which is almost like not cool these days, you know? I mean, (laughs) I think it's amazing and I think we need more of it. But, you know, people are just, I don't know, people have retreated to their corners to some degree. And I love the fact that you are not. But in terms of the environmental voters that you reached out to in this past election, I mean, realistically, how many of them crossed party lines? 
Well, I, I would say we only targeted environmental voters in our partnership through the Environmental Voter Project, because that's kind of their thing. With all the other universes of voters that we reached out to with various other partners, there was nothing to characterize them as environmental voters. Well, you know what? There's not a whole ton of party line crossing right now, which is just so ugly. And it's just, it's really, really ugly and forestalling a ton of progress. We were very proud to support Al Gross, Dr. Al Gross, who, you know, ran for Senate in Alaska as an independent, also was proud to support Dr. Barbara Bollier, who was a former Republican who ran as a Democrat for Senate in Kansas. And we'll take all of those opportunities. But look, climate change makers, we are very, very enthusiastic about building support for Republican candidates, independent candidates, you name it, who are willing to lean in on climate. And that is a high priority for us. We want to support them on their policy decisions and and work, and we want to support them on the electoral side. We want to support any candidate in any race who is willing to lean in more and be more ambitious in terms of getting us where we need to be in alignment with what the scientific community says on climate than their opponent. And And it's not as complicated as you think once you're in a general election. It's a binary choice, generally. I mean, one candidate is going to make climate action a higher priority than the other. So I think, you know, primaries can be plenty messy, and there's a lot of really important work to be done to kind of move the Overton window around. But in terms of a general election, there's going to be the climate candidate and the one that isn't going to be as strong in terms of prioritizing it. But there's still work, even with the climate candidate. There's a lot of issues out there, and there's a lot of work to be done to just be the one, like, tap, tap, tap on your shoulder. Remember, yeah, climate, I know, pandemic and healthcare and all this super important stuff. Yes to all of it. And tap, 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 climate. Because tap, 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 it just got to keep rising it to the top of the agenda. And that nudging is a very important work that we're taking on. Absolutely. I mean, the thing about climate, and I think the reason why it gets kind of like pushed to the back burner is climate moves slowly. The very nature of climate change is it's slow and incremental and you may not notice it from one day to the next, but it is like, it's not going away. So someone has got to be doing that tap, tap, tapping. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's in your face with all the extreme weather events, you know, it's in our face here in California with wildfire smoke and, and then the public attention dwindles really fast afterwards. Absolutely. One last question on the whole partisan climate issue, which you know, might be one of Trump's most damaging legacies when it comes to his climate policies is really, you know, just making it about our team versus their team. Do you try to tackle that at all? Like, is that something you ever consider taking on sort of changing hearts and minds? I wouldn't frame it in that way, but here's the way I'll frame it. Like I said, I feel very generous with the t-shirt. I will put the t-shirt that says I am a climate change maker, not a climate spectator on any climate concern volunteer who wants to join our community and and take action with us. I will also put the t-shirt on any lawmaker who wants to wear it. If there is any lawmaker and I, you know, like previous record, notwithstanding, if they want to wear the t-shirt that they're going to be a climate change maker and not be a spectator, or if they want to call it, I want to be a climate patriot or what, however they want to frame that, I want to support their effort. How can we help? 
How can we help? So really not only meeting volunteers where they are, whether they're new to the space or whether they're veteran activists, meeting policymakers where they are, exactly where they are, and asking how can we support your efforts to lead on this? So I don't think about it as changing minds in kind of antagonistic, kind of a binary way. I just think about it in terms of how can we help each of you take more ownership of this and lead on this. What do you do when you're not in the middle of an electoral cycle like we are now? Right. So that's what we've been deeply involved in developing this advocacy campaign cycle. And just like with the elections related work, we're very much doing this in deep partnership with other environmental organizations. So we've developed this month long cycle where we take on one climate priority or issue per month. Again, this low hanging fruit kind of really important timely type of policy priority. So for the month of February, we've been partnered with Environment America, and we've been focused on electric vehicles. So federal EV incentives, tax credit extension of the tax credit, increasing the manufacturer's cap so more transactions are apply, introducing a tax credit for used EVs. I mean, really just the writing's on the wall. We're going to be transitioning our fleet How fast can we do it? How can we advocate for policy to accelerate the transition of the heavily emitting passenger car fleet here in the United States? Transportation is the largest sector for emissions right now. So that's the priority and Environment America is the partner. And the monthly arc is designed so that anyone can pop in at any time. So this is part of meeting folks where they are. If they pop in at During week three of a four-week cycle, they are welcome, and we will put them to work taking productive action. But the idea, of course, this is, you know, designed for people to come every week and give an hour. On week one, we get briefed on the issue by an expert at our partner organization, so clean car expert from Environment America. Morgan Folger came and, and briefed our community in week one for about 20 minutes. And then the remainder, because we are very, very action oriented, and of course, Learning about climate can be construed as climate action, but we really want to actually take productive action. Week one is focused on developing personalized talking points, which is just such an incredibly key element of successful advocacy. And you'll get take action alerts, take action and sign this letter. And it it would be great if you can add, personalize it because it will have so much more of an impact. But I don't know how many people actually take the time to personalize it. That's time consuming. And we are really emphasizing the development of personalized talking points. What's the Nancy version of this? What's the Eliza version of this? You know, what's your why? Why EVs? You know, are you a scientist? Are you a parent? Do your kids have asthma? You know, have you, do you not have charging infrastructure in your neighborhood? You know, does it, emissions from, you know, the jammed highways in LA, if you're a resident of whatever, whatever your why is, everyone comes at this from a different angle. You know, is it the equity lens? Is it the social justice? Is it the public health lens? Why do you care? So week one is very much about owning the issue and inviting all of our change makers to really think through and process why this issue is important to them, because it makes them a more effective advocate. And then to bring that full circle, we encourage them to use something that they've gleaned either from the briefing or from this exercise of developing personalized talking points to use that as a conversation starter. 
with their friends, family, or followers on social media. And then, so week two, so we're basically, if you deconstruct advocacy, advocacy is new to some of our change makers and some of our change makers happen to be professional advocates. So we're again at a wide spectrum, but we did this exercise of what does it look like to deconstruct advocacy? You take a priority, you run it through some mode of communication, and you reach an audience. So we are mix and matching all permutations of modes of communication and audiences over this kind of one month long advocacy campaign. So week two is policymaker outreach. It's constituent outreach to our elected members of Congress using constituent channels, phone calls, emails. I mean, we try to cram all of this into an hour and social media outreach you know, district offices, DC offices, personalized emails. And of course, when you write a personalized email with personalized talking points in there, those are processed differently. Those are not batched together. Those are actually processed differently. So really asking people to try to to make the most of of these channels for outreach. Week three is influencer outreach, where we reach out to key stakeholders who have the ear of important decision makers. In week three, we also have a breakout room Each room has kind of optionality. We offer different breakout room options. And part of that has to do with if you're experienced and you're not new to this, come in here. If this is brand new to you, come in here. In week three, we offer an op-ed and a letter to the editor writing action. So again, this is week three of every month. So every month there's a week three on some issue and there's an opportunity to either just, you've done it before, you're going to go on mute, pretend you're in some co-working space with these folks, enjoy their company, and just carve out the time, carve out the time to do the work. Or you've never done it before, and you know our facilitator kind of takes you from A to Z on it. And week four is kind of the most important. It's a live climate conversation with a policymaker. So we welcome a member of Congress. We did last month. We will again this month to have a conversation with our community. And it's, we call it a climate conversation, kind of to take it down a notch from, you know, a traditional lobby meeting, but also really emphasizing that we are there to work with the member of Congress to help support their climate ambition and not to work on them, right? We're we're there to work with them, like kind of put the t-shirt on them at the door you know, ask them questions. How can we best support your efforts to lean in on on climate ambition in, in general or on this specific issue that we've been doing a deep dive on this week? So that's that's our advocacy cycle. And next month, we'll be taking on an issue in partnership with EDF Action and the following month in partnership with NRDC Action Fund and likely the next month with LCV and just kind of have and it's an opportunity also to introduce our change makers to the important work being done by all of these organizations. And so that's another piece of it. So this will be ongoing kind of drumbeat menu of action options. And then electoral work will kind of weave in and out as as it's timely. If someone's ready to put on the metaphorical T-shirt yeah. and wants to be part of the solution, how can they get involved? Well, yeah, we love to hand out these t-shirts, which don't exist, but maybe will one day. You can find us at climatechangemakers.org. And our website is really basic and just kind of functions as a way to sign up to get into the, the Slack. But our entire community isn't in the Slack. I mean, we have 500 some odd folks in the Slack. And then we have other people who just sign up for the newsletter and stay in the loop about our events and, and join us. So climatechangemakers.org is is the answer. The, you know, the other thing that I would say is that if there's anyone who hears this and is really excited about supporting a community that's designed around productive climate action to contact me through 
at eliza at climatechangemakers.org. One of the things that we are not doing is raising money from our volunteers for our operations, really kind of trying to disrupt the model that in order to take productive climate action, you need to shell out money. Very much, you know, want to funnel money into the support of climate candidates. So we have done fundraising, but not for ourselves from our members. What we want to ask them is, you know, what does it look like when you put your time and energy into really productive solutionist thinking and, and action? So I would love to talk to anyone who just sees the value in in what we're building and would want to support our efforts as we grow this and try to empower more people. Great. Well, Eliza Nemser, thank you so much for being with me here today, for sharing your passion and for the work you've done at Climate Change Makers. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Thanks, Nancy. It's been exciting to have you in the community since the early days, and it was great to get a chance to, to talk about it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. New Faces of Democracy is created and produced by me, Nancy Bynum. And in addition to being the host, I'm also the CEO, the CFO, and the administrative assistant. If you enjoyed this episode, please help New Faces of Democracy grow by subscribing on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're looking for more inspiration, check out my other profiles at newfacesofdemocracy.org and follow New Faces of Democracy on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook.